Hey Celestial, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I don't know why. I said a lot. I don't know why I went with that level of energy there. I kind of went to do something else, and just this is. I'm now realizing this is the first time I've spoken out loud today. Do you ever do that? Like spend all day on Twitter and realize you haven't said a word out loud. Uh, I don't think. I think typically, if I don't talk, it, like at the beginning of the day, I just won't talk for the whole day. I'll just go from like the morning to night and just like fuck it. <laughs> just fall asleep um but yeah no plus i have i'm still in university so i have to talk to people i have to interact with people and try to be social and shit so i don't get those days that often jesus what a terrible burden having to be social yes uh, it hurts a lot all the time <laughs> it just depends on <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very grateful for the friends that I have to do have though, so I won't complain too much about them. But yeah, no, good day. I... It's been it's been a good day. It's been a good day. I've mainly sat with my puppy all day, so I can't I can't actually complain about the day. How about you? Ah, uh, it's it's been pretty good. I think it's just I for some reason Tuesdays I have class from three to five. Podcast from six to eight, boxing from eight to ten, and it's like just those those like seven hours are just running from place A to B to C. It's making dinner like right before this, and it's the kind of thing where each time it feels like you're fucking everything up, but it all aligns perfectly. It's like the kitchen is a mess. I took Red Bull because I was feeling tired, and it's spilt on my desk. But but everything's clean at the end of the day, and everything's ready. And I'm like, you know what? That's all I need. Is it good for me? You're making me sound like real, uh, real lazy here. <laughs> listening to all this shit you've done, I'm like, yeah, I cut off my dog. That was about it. Yeah, that sounds nice though. What kind of dog is it? Uh, he is a Cavapoo, which is a fancy fucking mutt, as far as I'm concerned. But it's a Cavalier, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel crossed with a poodle. Fair enough. I have no idea what that would look like. I'm gonna look it up later. <laughs> Cause it's fucking adorable. I can it's imagine. Like absolutely fucking adorable. I'll send you a picture uh, right fuck now. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I think I mean all puppies are so adorable. I mean, maybe not all of them, but a lot of like puppies are really cute. My my family got one like six, maybe actually more like nine months back. And Jesus, it's uh it's adorable. It's very nice one. Oh, that really is very cute. Okay. Right, puppies and cats have won the evolutionary race. Yeah. We think we're like the apex. We are not. Puppies <laughs> and cats are. In particular cats, I would say. Because puppies is like dogs are like, I still gotta do tricks, I still gotta work occasionally. No one has a working cat. Cats just like fucking have it set. Yeah. They just chill. It's kinda shocking. I would pay to be a cat. Like I I'm with you. I would pay to be a cat. Like reincarnation goals, but come back as a cat. Yeah, just sleep and like occasionally jump from roof to roof because fuck it. Sounds good. yeah. Like you technically have superpowers as a cat. Like you can fit in any container. You can yeah. like jump obscenely distances, but you don't. You just chill the fuck out and rub your bummer on things. Yeah. Nah, it's um, it's a fucking life. <sighs> Anyways, I mean, let's let's get back to a more, uh, I don't know, I want to say appropriate, but that really isn't the term, but more like... Oh, this is the whole space. The whole, <laughs> the whole space, space is reincarnation, is animals, fuck that. 
yeah, yeah. We can always yeah. on the philosophical route of reincarnation, but I'm not sure we're gonna we're gonna get too many people interested in that topic. So, um, I mean, I'm very curious as as an artist how you actually ended up putting your art on a on in crypto and in NFTs because most of the people that I've known IRL that did art always were very against nfts and have always a lot of the people that i know have like even when i told them yeah i work for nfts or like i worked in a company of nfts or yeah you should try this because i don't know to my unexperienced eye it looks like artists are having fun they'd always be like no fuck you nft is bad so i think it's always curious to me how an artist kind of escaped that mentality i guess and ended up being here and posting your NFTs on form function or exchange will not form function anymore. All right. Uh, <laughs> <R. I>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Pull one out for form function. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, I was like a fucking working graphic designer and also day jobber. Like, you know, like um, I did a lot of freelance graphic design for a long time, which is very boring commercially, very soul crushing for anyone who's done any creative commercial work. We were just doing like boring brochure design and shit like that. Um, and then I went on to work in the cannabis industry because I moved out to fucking Canada and was also doing design in house for our dispensary. And like that was the dream job for a while. I mean, like early 20s selling weed and doing design for the packaging was like clutch. Fucking loved it. Um, but you know, it doesn't. It didn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really go many places. And with regulation coming in, the design got a lot more boring and a lot more centralized. And like, you didn't have small-time dispensaries doing their own design for products anymore. You had government-regulated massive companies doing all the design. It's fucking hideous. If anyone's not seen the Canadian legal packaging, it's ugly and the most cigarette packaging in a lot of ways. These big yellow warnings all over shit that are just ridiculous. So I wasn't like coming from a place where I was like a working artist. I was like a working designer. So I didn't really have that kind of like, you know, fine artist mentality. So I think that's part of it. Another big part of it is just a really close friend of mine who I've known for like fucking more than 10 years now because I'm old. Um, it has just got into NFT kind of through chance. was kind of just playing around with soul NFTs when they first started up was like holy shit i sold whatever jpeg for this amount of money wait why don't i make jpegs was his line of thinking um because he was a really accomplished artist and designer in his own right and had worked professionally in a lot of big industries and once he got some traction he just came to me and was like look you know i know you love creating i know you love design we went to university together briefly so he knows my background and everything and he knew I was trying to like work on this clothing company because I was tired of designing for other people and all this other shit that I just mentioned. And he was like, just, you know, try and sell an NFT, come over here, play around, explore, here's some soul, um, see how it goes. And I sold my first NFT and it was like, I think $300, that kind of region. And he just went to me like, okay, how many t-shirts would you have to sell to make that amount of money? And anyone who sold clothing will know that the answer is quite a fucking lot. Um, and I was like, yeah, yeah, why would I why would I constrain myself to making art and putting it on clothing as a, a vehicle to market, as it were, a way of commodifying that product when all I want to do is make the art? Like, I don't actually want to make the end product. I just wanted to make the art. The product was uh, 
you know, circumstantial based on that. And so that was it, really. Not a lot of friction from me, not a lot of pushback on the NFT world. Like, I guess that's the benefit of coming through design school. You're always taught to keep an eye on these emerging technologies. You're taught to research these things and not just judge them by the board Ape Yacht Club, as it were which is what I feel like, like you said, a lot of artists now, a lot of people, and I've mentioned it to other artists and like some young, like fresh out of high school artists. And I've gone, oh, I sell NFTs. And they're like, what? Well, at least someone's making good out of it. And I'm like, you guys have the wrong idea. Lots of people are making good out of it. Lots of artists are making good out of this. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess it makes a lot of sense if you're not exposed to it in the first place and and it's like the world of where people would have that hatred for NFTs. Have you, like, since you entered, have you had maybe pushback from other people because of you doing NFTs? Because you, you do mention, like, people saying, oh, at least you're doing some good. Has there ever been someone who's like, like, you're part of the problem or something along those lines? No, um, that might be partly because my circle is kind of small and I don't bother wading into these debates online because I'm, um, I'm tired of, of that kind of thing, like on Reddit and, well, every social media platform. I'm tired of being the one who wades in as like, would you just think logically and look beyond the headline? Because it's not my fucking job and I don't have the energy. <laughs> um, so, no, I haven't dealt with it a lot, but that's mainly because I don't put myself in the position where the debate is had. And the only time I've ever really come across it, like talking to this young, uh, this young guy I was sort of not mentoring, I was just giving life advice to. Uh, through roundabout circumstances was just the initial reaction once you explain beyond the initial reaction it's a kind of thing where if you're face to face and talking with someone conversation and dialogue tends to go a lot smoother and you tend to get somewhere with it whereas online i just feel like people just switch off and you don't really have those productive dialogues as often without a human voice involved uh, you make a good point with the the dialogue part and like you, you mentioned Reddit and it does, it really flashes a thing of people on Reddit just having irrational hatred for some things and not just they don't want to hear differently. And Oh, uh, yeah. Reddit <laughs> is the most faux liberal place on earth. Like they're liberal it unless is. it comes to crime and punishment, veganism, or literally anything they can't be fucked to understand. Yeah, it's kind of shocking sometimes. I. It was weird because I, I removed the app for maybe like six months or something just because I had to focus on other things. And then I re-downloaded it recently and I'm like, this place is boring as fuck. And yeah, and since then I just don't use it. <laughs> yeah, that's annoying. Like I've, I think my Reddit account is eight plus years old now and I'm going to sound like a fucking grandma right now. But Boomer. I remember when people didn't make comments that didn't contribute to the conversation, um, generally speaking. <laughs> Like most comments were trying to contribute or build off what was said. And if you just repeated stuff or you didn't really try that, and you just made jokes all the time, you got downvoted more often. And subreddits seemed to be more focused communities that were built around a dialogue. And I suppose it's that kind of thing where like its user base has grown dramatically over the years. Uh, the canary died. And um, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess with time, it just becomes this homogenized lump. And it's like, you'll go on a post nowadays and you'll see like 20 comments are all the same fucking thing. It's like, I know you guys read the other one. What is, what is this? What is the point of this? Why is no one like talking anymore? Um, 
And yeah, it's frustrating because Reddit as an organizational tool, I've said this before, would actually probably be better and more functional for us as artists as a way to share and interact and engage with each other's work more functional than Twitter's algorithm. Because a dedicated subreddit to, say, Solana artists could be set up in a more uh, accessible and democratic way. You can ensure people sort by new. You can ensure, like, you know, a different metric for measurement other than the nebulous of an algorithm we currently deal with on Twitter, which has changed dramatically in the last few months because of fucking muskrat and all that shit. <laughs> muskrat. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also, it feels like it's kind of, the road internet and a lot of platforms go down right you often have that like it's a great platform fewer people are using it tighter group of people as well and then more and more users there's that more like influx of people and then it just kind of becomes worse in a sense i feel like it's always a story you'll hear people talk about how maybe twitter was better before facebook was better before or instagram was better before it's a bit weird how the more people you have, the worse it gets somehow. Yeah, I think it, um, and there are like some rough studies into this, uh, like to do with how many friends you're able to maintain and how large a social group is able to be before it starts to fracture within itself. And I think there's obviously a way you can apply that to the size of online communities. They, they just get too big and it, it becomes too unwieldy. Um, and you, I don't know, <laughs> this is not where I, I thought we were going to start this space. But I think people forget that, like, you're shouting in a town square. And there's a lot of shit you wouldn't shout in a town square. Like, in in real life, you wouldn't just go and say this shit. Even if on that day the town square was having a fate or, like, you know, a parade for X specific group. Like, let's say, like, fucking cycling or, like, a hobby, whatever. You still wouldn't go in there and shout your random ass opinions about something else, because even though everyone on principle agrees with the hobby you're all into, the passion you all share, it doesn't make it the right place to be sounding off on opinions. And it's also, if you're there, you're not going to agree with everyone on every facet of their opinions. But when you get these overly homogenized and overly large, formerly niche communities specialized around a certain thing, you, you have this weird thing where people who would not like each other and would not talk each other, to each other in day-to-day real world are forced into each other's faces and in each other's space. And that drives, I think, a lot of conflict. Yeah, that's a very good take, I want to say. Very elaborate that, to that extent. Um, but so, I mean, you, you, you said that this isn't how you expected the space to be. How did you expect it to be? Fuck, I don't know. You're the host. I'm meant to to shut up a bit. So uh, I'll do Uh, that. I mean, honestly, I think I just typically kind of go wherever it kind of, wherever the conversation kind of goes and then see where it goes. And then if it redirected somewhere like A or B, if if that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, I think one question that I have is kind of what has your, your journey been since that one sale that was for 300? How has it been through the like ups and down of Solana's price? And I imagine also you've had to have moments where you were like discovered by certain people or you had those boosts and like, how's your journey been basically? Yeah, I mean, my, my journey has been great. I've been very fortunate on this journey. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to dismiss the work I put in to get to this point. I've been working for a really long fucking time as an artist and designer that no one knew about. But, uh, you know, without the the help and support of, it was initially Rupture. Uh, you guys all know Rupture, obviously. I uh, saw a piece I'd put up and showed George, uh, a fantastic patron of the arts here and obviously member of Boogles. And those two connections really, really helped me find an inroad kind of thing. Um, and it was connections built on art. It wasn't connections built on, you know, anything else. And I was just fortunate that Rupture saw me and Rupture was kind enough to pass my work along. And then from there, I obviously met Boo and Toshi in the ministry. Um, well, the ministry didn't, didn't exist back then. It was just the URS. And both, both of them as well just championed my work. And um, yeah, I'm really fortunate to now be in the position with the ministry and all these other artists I, I deeply respect. And this little Bauhaus movement we have um, where we can sort of learn from each other and grow alongside each other and build each other up. And yeah, yeah, yeah. My journey generally has been one of a lot of beauty, uh, a lot of restored faith in, in the artistic movement and the cultural movement of today, and uh, a lot of shared experiences as well. It's been really nice. You said that that connection with Rapture and Jords was really important. Do you think that the, like how much do those connections really matter for a new artist on Soul? Is that really something that's necessary? Well, on Soul or any other blockchain, right? Is how much of a driving factor is it for like the commercial success of an artist? Okay, yeah, for the commercial success, yeah. I was going to say it's really hard to quantify because you know I would love it. I'd love to say no. I'd love to say it does not matter. I'd love to say you are only going to be judged by the merits of your work and what you do and your artistic integrity and all of your craft and everything that goes into it. It's not fucking true, unfortunately, because of so many things. Um, the fact we're not as niche a community anymore, the way the algorithm works, you need help amplifying your voice. You need help cutting through that noise. You need that network to help support and raise you up so the algorithm will feed you into other people's lives and so you can grow. And yeah, patronage is obviously important to the arts. It has been since the Renaissance and before then as well. I'm a shit art historian student, just so everyone knows. Um, but, you know, patronage is always and has always been important. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's been vital, I would say, um, in me reaching the position I reached at the speed I reached it. And so you personally, how much importance do you associate to the commercial, to, the, to that commercial success? And not so much in a sense, like, it's, I want to put this as a mixed question in the sense that, is it really something that you put a lot of focus in because, you know, you have to make a living out of it? Is it something that maybe gives you a sense of how much you've succeeded in general? What's your outlook on that commercial success, basically? Um, so I, I'm full-time in Web3. Uh, I was coming off of a ma massive life shift when I got into Web3 as well, just to sort of rewind a bit. I'd lost my work visa and had to move out of the country I was living in and then gone through like major surgery. So I came into this and then started making money and was like, oh shit, well, this can be a full-time job and it has been a full-time job. <laughs> so the, the commercial success, the capital success, as it were, is, is obviously vital to me continuing to do my work and being able to work on larger projects and more experimental projects and not 
worry so much about you know rent next month and stuff like that that's an unfortunate trapping of the capitalist system we all live in where the commercial success is inexplicably or not inexplicably you know what i mean intrinsically linked to our ability to be artists because without it you know worry and stress and everything creeps in and you end up having to work a job and then that's more time away and more mental time away from your work um so commercial success because of the system we live in is is in it is fundamental to to my success as an artist but is not how i would judge my success as an artist i would judge my success on you know the museums i plan on getting in and the galleries and exhibitions i plan on getting to that's how i would judge my success and yeah my success as an artist is by the impact my art leaves and that's that's the goal to have your art reach the most people to have the most impact of your message and what you're trying to express about humanity and hopefully have it last like i say i'm building work that i want to last a century and more i don't build for today and yesterday's trends yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean i think i that's always the way i kind of see art in the sense that it's about the impact and it's about the lasting impression and it's really about to me as someone who would look at art it would be about how when you go and you see that piece in a museum or on your pc what it means to you and how whatever feeling it evokes right but at the same time i do realize that there's that element of you need to have the capital you need to make the money you need to be to be able to get into those museums in the first place so there's that that marketing element which i think always makes me in a sense i don't know if worried is the term but kind of like oh fuck the artist might not be able to have the full expression of his or their self um, into that piece because they need to have commercial success just to be able to continue doing their work, right? So it becomes a lot harder to, I don't know, have that, have the possibility to be an artist, I guess. But yeah, just a bit of a thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it can be it can be challenging to retain your integrity and re- retain the path you want to follow when you do get commercial success doing one particular thing and you find maybe your experiments or expansion upon that theme isn't as well received commercially and you end up kind of stuck in sort of that pigeonhole. And I think we do see a lot of that in Web3. We do see a lot of artists, I wouldn't say being forced, but it feels like they're kind of stuck repeating aesthetic and concept like very closely to what is previously sold without as much growth and that may be because that's just what they want to do i don't i'm not in their heads but it does feel like the space is um particularly on solana um but in general the entire art scene in nfts is it's very immature and it it, it's best way to judge the quality of art it seems is the price that came before which obviously is not how i would and not how i think every artist would actually judge the quality of art but it's how it goes and that can be very limiting even if you do have commercial success you can still be limited by the way that um, the entire structure works yeah of course back to the the connections point and so ministry of art and the urs how has 
how has that experience kind of been? Because as I, I spoke to Toshi, obviously, and he's more of that that founding figure. How is it as an artist to have had the chance to get that opportunity to have been invited to it? And even now, how does it help you? And what do you think about the project as a whole, not only for you as an artist, but maybe also for the people that have that are leading it, for the people who've invested in it, well invested, who bought the NFTs? That I think there are like those multiple facets of you as an artist and your own view of how it works. So I'll split it up into URS and ministry because they they are separate. Yeah. Um, the URS was was really fundamental to myself, and I know a lot of others, uh, particularly in those early days. You know, a year and a half those early days, fuck, a year and a half ago. <laughs> um, on Seoul, and and all finding our feet and having a bit of like you know a place to touch base with. Like I remember one of the first questions I think I asked in the URS group chat was like is it a smart idea to offer people like a free piece of artwork for like promotional purposes? And everyone was like, no, 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 no. That seems like a bad idea. And it's just feeling out the way the space works, like, you know, finding out the the nomenclature, the status quo, and, you know, it helps you really find your feet and understand, especially in those early days, how to mint on Holoplex and shit like that. So fundamental in in getting your feet under you getting your sea legs as it were and i think it still is a great touch point for any artist um in that group chat you can air concerns questions and and share your work as well you know and get get that sort of boost when you're starting out and you're a little tiny tiny account in the algorithm's eyes can be a good way to sort of you know bring the artists together and get them looking at each other's work um on onto the ministry the ministry is like i I deeply and passionately believe in um like not just to represented artists i'm a member of the team um and i I really really admired everything toshi and boo uh and like charlie and everything they set out to do from the start i think is a real a real shame that because we were trying to build something real and because we were building a genuinely fully fleshed out well-realized, well-costed product, project, it kind of bit us a little bit because it wasn't feeding into the speculation and the hype and the sort of noise attention economy style marketing of a project. It was like real. Um, and it, it's a shame we haven't been able to execute on everything we wanted to with in real life events, etc. because the ministry is how we're going to bridge between traditional art and nfts and just make it one big art market organizations like that are how you do this you've seen this with the medici collection you know collecting supporting providing patronage to artists and then using that to integrate with real world galleries and real world museums that's how we make this movement real that's how we make it serious that's how we bring in and bring out the best of all of us um, so yeah, I've, I've loved working with ministry and I love the fact that they provide a touch point for me as an artist who is not well-versed in finer arts of certain marketing or not marketing certain business decisions, I should say, like they provide a sounding board, a touch point for me to raise concerns, questions, things about price action, things about release schedules, all those little things you're like, how do I handle this from a, from a perspective outside of the art you know and they've been really vital in that yeah so in a sense it provides mentorship right 
Yeah, advisory mentorship as well as obviously representation and promotion and uh like i can't talk about too much but recently toshi and boo have done a lot of work um bringing uh some really really great opportunities to to the ministry artists and there is something we're all very excited about that will be hopefully rolling out kind of soon but it, it would not have happened this way without the ministry of doing their job as it were and representing us as a group of genuine artists like drop web free drop nft this is artists being represented and that's how we need to think about it you know we're embracing all the beauty of web free we need to embrace those strong suits that will bring artists in from the outside to where we function here royalties being a massive part of that provenance on chain but we also need to bring the artists from web free into the art world and to do that you need to just focus on the art first and foremost that makes me question that at i think at the beginning there was like a set group of artists that were part of ministry but i imagine you're also integrating artists from web3 to ministry right so how do new artists join the ministry or kind of i want to say make a part of that circle even though i don't really want to call it like a circle because that sounds too artists but like I think you got my point. No, and I don't think there's anything wrong with calling it a circle. You know, it's a curated group of artists um, of a standard as defined by those curators. People can disagree or agree with the level of that standard all they want, but, you know, there is room for curation. Curation is not a dirty word. I know in the land of decentralization, anything like that is kind of almost instantly perceived as a negative, but it really shouldn't be. It benefits everyone to be able to delineate and understand the levels of craft, concept, and integrity and quality that are spread amongst all the artists here. Um, as for what you actually asked, um, yeah, I, I, Toshi and Boo will keep an eye out, as it were, I know we've just welcomed in a new artist, Skullface, who's fucking dope. Um, but it's it's pretty limited by the level of care they're able to give to X amount of people. They are obviously only so many people in and of themselves, so they can only do so much. And they won't take on more artists than they're able to actually fully help. So at the moment, it's a very, very slow, organic growth that I think only comes about when it's a real mutually beneficial proposition for all involved kind of thing okay that makes a lot of sense how do you well, i mean so is it mostly toshi and boo who follow up on that and try to keep an eye out on it or do you like for example do you have a chance to notice an artist and say hey this person looks cool dm toshi and say like try to get a word in for that person something along those lines Oh, yeah. If I see like an artist, particularly an emerging artist on chain, uh, I will absolutely send it to them and be like, this person is fucking sick. We should buy their work Um, and then open a line of dialogue and see where it goes, you know, because it's also down to the artist. Not everyone wants representation. Um, But yeah, there's been there's been a few times when an artist has come to me and been like, oh, I'd love to be more involved. And I've looked through and I'm like, yeah, you're really fucking good. Let me pass on your details. And then other times I'm like, you know what, like, let me, you know, maybe invite you or give you some advice on the side and, you know, you'll get there kind of thing. Yeah, that has to be, that isn't necessarily a very comfortable conversation, I imagine, when you kind of have to say no without saying no. 
Yeah, I think there's um, there's like a lot of people here could learn from. This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound elitist, but it's not meant to. Hit it. Uh, like I went to university for graphic design, and one of the first things we learned how to do was critique. Like the first day we learned how to do this, or started learning how to do this, how to talk about each other's work in a non-personal manner. You know, if you're going to say I don't like this, you have to identify why you don't like it. So you're learning how your brain works. You're learning what your prejudices are and how good your eye is at spotting things that are misaligned, for example. And then you're learning from how to take that feedback and how to depersonalize yourself from the work. And therefore, you look at your own work more critically and more constructively and you build yourself up better. And the skill to give and receive that critique, that criticism, um, is something I, I think a lot of people could do with more of. And it would really help everyone grow in this space to be able to openly give and receive that. I was going to say, it sounds like a class a lot of CTD gens should, uh, should check out. Yeah, you can't just say, that's fun. That's not oh. an accepted answer. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> But so I think uh, another topic that I, I want to ask, and maybe I'm going down like the complete uh, of a weird outlook, but it's kind of, so I see Ministry of Art, right? And I think a lot of the artists in Ministry of Art aren't necessarily niche, but it's a fairly specific style that differs from a lot of the, I think the names that a lot of people recognize on on Solana Twitter, for example, like John Lee or High Blinks or Dejan Poet, that all have done it there they don't have anyone else to do the representation they always have that style that they seem to kind of repeat and it feels like there's a kind of difference between the artists in ministry of art their style the way they work and these bigger names on twitter and i was i'm kind of wondering do you think there's any reason for that and is there any kind of interaction between ministry of art and these this different group of artists i guess um yeah I, I don't think there's a reason for that like there's not a, a particularly defined reason for that like i'm you know i'm sure the rest of ministry would love to work with john on the regular kind of thing it's just a simple fact john does not need us like realistically speaking like he he has set himself up and achieved what he's achieved and has built in the support network he needs for himself um you know the same support network we would give he has built himself um so it's not like a case of like oh you know that that person doesn't fit here or anything like that it's just a case of this is how an organic organization has grown and these are the artists within it and you know we own john's work as the ministry as well like we love john um and dj and poet like yeah we we all have a lot of communication john has worked with the urs in the past um, and designed a crown for the urs collection dj and poet and me have uh well I credit DJ Poet with my ability to write very poor poetry um, because I didn't write poetry before I came to this space. And it was, I was looking for a way to sort of amplify my voice and brand myself and sort of provide more to my profile's timeline, as it were, than just retweets and my own voice and my own, you know, tweets, as it were. So I was like, well, when I retweet something, why don't I write about it, my reflections on it? And that quickly became poetry, but I had no fucking clue how to write it. So, you know, DGEM was DGEM poet, and always has been DGEM poet, the poet of Solana. And so I just messaged them like, hey, how the fuck do you write poetry? 
they gave me a really nice bullet pointed list on how to sort of improve your writing. Um, so yeah, yeah. We, sorry to go back to your question. We we have a good relationship with with all these people in the space. We have lines of dialogue open because you know it's a collaborative effort. This entire space is a collaborative effort. A rising tide lifts all boats. That saying gets said to death here, but it's true. <laughs> um, you know, there's no point walling yourself off in the corner and saying we're not talking to them over there because they're this one elite group but we're this other group and blah blah fucking blah no no it's a group of artists building together that's awesome i I mean i on the more like nft project side i've often heard that there's a surprising amount of collaboration between all the projects that work together right they have the like builder group chats developers and everything and it's it's nice to see that even when there's that like Solana Twitter drama of X and Y people getting mad at each other, D got some famous foxes or some other stupid like source of drama. It's always good to hear that there's that collaboration on the like back end, I want to say. And it's nice to see that there's that in like the artist space. So is there ever that drama that you can see on Solana Twitter for NFT projects? Or does it really stay very chill? for art artists uh, let me just pour a pot of tea um like <laughs> yeah yeah we're not immune to our drama i would say that our drama is sometimes more well-reasoned than ponzi's fighting over the same shrinking liquidity pool not the famous fox and the ponzi i'm not calling famous fox and ponzi i love those guys but you know what i mean when two projects are just shouting at each other and neither of them have ever built anything and you're like what the fuck are you doing here making noise and tearing us apart because that serves no one we're too small we're too niche to be infighting that's it's how movements die for infighting like that over petty bullshit with that being said um i will absolutely kick off uh, about certain moral and ethical standpoints and anyone who's been around in space for a while will know i've kicked off in the past um at, at exchange art uh over certain practices they had um and they've really improved since then i did make a post to this uh, you know talking about this the other day they have genuinely addressed those concerns and issues and grown which is why i'm kind of comfortable to talk about this because i'm not just you know, holding a grudge or being petty here. I'm just saying this is what happened. and You know, this is how it came about. And so th- that happened. I will also kick off a fuss, you know, all artists I will kick off a fuss if we find stolen work. That's happened a few times in the space. People have stolen work. And then there's a kind of like the slightly shakier ground of artists who borrow very, very heavily from other artists, both in, both in concept and execution, but they do so without a full understanding of the artistic statement the person they are borrowing or stealing from um, was making. And in doing so, they dilute that and they make a much worse piece of work. And when it's really blatant, I just I have no fucking time for that. Like, it just... It grates on me to see it elevated as well. If it's not elevated, if it doesn't achieve success, I can just dismiss it because I'm like, well, that's what you get for badly copying someone's homework. But uh, when it gets elevated like it has done once or twice, it, it frustrates me deeply, not only because it's like, okay, you don't deserve that success, not that I'm the person to be saying that, but in my eyes, they don't deserve that success. 
it annoys me because the wider world, the wider art world, which is so much fucking bigger than our space, can see that. You know, if that's who you put on top, this poor, weak pastiche of, you know, a much stronger body of work that is well known, you elevate that. And then you're saying to real world art collectors with, you know, masses of capital, come look at our movement. And the first thing they see is this weak copy. They're not going to take the rest of us seriously. So it annoys me because it's, it has a potential to genuinely damage the movement here. And there is a beautiful artistic movement going on here. That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense when you have that. The, the stealing is probably the worst well, some of the worst you can get down get down to when it comes to art, I guess. But which it kind of makes me I remember a while back and I don't I don't remember the whole situation, so maybe you can explain it better to me, but DJ Poet had similar accusations levied like against him, if I remember well, about him maybe taking art from not necessarily taking it, but there was like copying art allegations. I'm using allegations as if this was like a police investigation, but people had made like two threads about how he'd taken art from other people. What was that? I don't know if you were particularly involved given you know him, but what was that whole thing about? Um, It's another case where, you know, going back to what I said earlier, the community as a whole could really benefit from understanding how to give and receive criticism in this constructive manner, which, you know, is focused on the art. There is genuine dialogue to be had about uh, how, how you reference and how you use references and how you use studies and all of these, these tools we use as artists to grow and, and improve our craft. Um, you know, you can trace the reference. That's absolutely fine. Buy some stock imagery. That's fine. Take your own photos. It doesn't matter if you've then traced over it. Like you're getting to an end effect the best way you the best way you can. Not everyone has a fine art background and an anatomy drawing background, and this shit's hard. <laughs> and when you're trying to do something that's actually quite removed from the basics of sketching that outline, you know, like do it all on a typewriter there's 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 a lot to be said for using reference and that's totally fair and i think there were one or two pieces where they'd ref the reference they used was another artist's work um this is outside of their reinterpretations of masterpieces from the like monet and stuff but there were one or two other pieces that were other artists lesser known or unknown artists relatively his work that he had then applied his style uh, atop of and, and used as a base for work. I think you should really disclose that when you do that. And I think that was a big part of the problem. It wasn't inherently clear to people that had happened. Um, but rather than have like a really constructive dialogue about when it is and isn't right on how much of a reference to use and, you know, should you reference other artworks or should you only reference imagery that wasn't intended as artwork? You know, that's a really nuanced, big debate to be had. Rather than had that, we got a witch hunt and we just got people screaming and reeing and like, I'm not going to say this is DJ and Poet's fault. Um, but they had at the time built a larger collector base than most one of on artists through their use of additions. And they had a large amount of people, I think, involved with PFP, like kind of trading. Um, so when this kind of FUD came out, they all, there was a big, a big load of fucking noise, basically. <laughs> um, and they got like way more pushback than they should have. They got like messages that didn't even understand the actual issue just demonizing them 
And like, yeah, if you want my like genuine take as an artist, I don't love um, the choices to type over old masterpieces. And I obviously don't love typing over other artists' work. At the same time, I don't think the guy deserved pitchforks and to be burnt at the stake for it. It was just a conversation to have. And at the end of the day, if you don't like the artwork, don't buy it. You know, it wasn't like Dijon's whole career was founded on this work. He had built a huge body of work, you know, by himself, well-earned, well-crafted, well-executed throughout many months and almost, I think, maybe a year at that point. They, they had done a lot of work. And burning them down because of one creative exploration that maybe, like, you know, in, in my mind should have stayed more as an exploration and less as a commercial piece is is wrong. And, yeah, I'm glad they, they came back to the space. I'm glad they've kept on being them. And, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, their medium of using a typewriter is really, really fucking nice. As an expressive typographer, I really love that. And all I'd love for them is to just keep pushing and keep growing. And I think that's also maybe why it annoyed me personally. I'm like, this isn't as much growth as I would like to see. But then again, who am I to dictate the way someone else grows? That's fucking stupid and egotistical of me. I think it's a fair take. I'd kind of, I'd probably line myself up on the same card that like you would want to like, like explain what the fuck is the word again? I've completely lost it. Say that you use someone else's work, but at the same time, it's fair to use it if you apply your own your own level of originality and creativity to it. It's like um, it's like copyright law. Do your do enough originality, and you're fine. But, yeah, this has been creatively transformed beyond its original form or intent, and yeah, that is fair usage under copyright law. And like, yeah, fucking, I, I buy stock photos to use as reference. I'm not shitting on anyone doing that. It just needs to be transparent, like you said. Yeah, but anyways, uh, enough about the agent. I just kind of wanted that TLDR, but I don't think I think the guys had enough talk about him. So, <laughs> if he wants to get more attention, he's obviously very good at marketing. So um, I wanted to bounce off, um, and you mentioned exchange art, and I kind of wanted to go to look at like the story of all these platforms that have done art on Solana from Holoplex, which was like the center of auctions in the early days. I remember Hotheads being auctioned there at the way beginning. And then we had form function, there's exchange art, there's collector, I think now. Um, there's all these different platforms. And to me, as someone who hasn't really been in the one-to-one art space that, that much, I kind of always just knew about exchange art because they've been pretty good at getting themselves out there. But for an artist, I kind of wonder, what does it mean to you to have these different platforms? Is there one that you've preferred? Do you like using multiple? Do you like only using one? What's your outlook on like the variety of platforms that there are on Solana? Um, we need more. I I like only using one because I think that's best for my, my collector base. It's good to have a consistent frame of reference and not be bouncing between two websites all the time. Um, objectively, form function was the best in my eyes. Uh, the UX, UI in general was the best. Um, it was an incredibly smooth website, very fast loading, very responsive. They pioneered a lot of features, which are now the standard. Um, and they 
to me they presented the work in the best way possible and as an artist that's my number one concern you know how is this work presented and how is the user experience for a potential collector when they try and engage with and buy this work form function gave me the best versions of that um it's a real shame what's happened um you know grumpy about what has happened but exchange art has really improved over time like back way 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 back when um exchange arts ui was a lot worse than it is now uh so it's, it's really improved now uh the features are better i still don't love everything i think the load times are a bit slower and i seem to get worse responsiveness depending on what device i'm on on it but you know those aren't ground those aren't end of the world issues those are just small challenges that i'm sure will improve over time they also deal with a lot more volume and have a lot more going on on their site in terms of data so i'm sure there are challenges i'm not aware of as someone who does not code as someone who only uses these products at an end basis you know i'm sure there's more going on than than i'm aware of holoplex was necessary (laughs) it was there it it was a wonderful wonderful utopian open sourced idea but god bless them bless them the functionality like it would just shit the shit the brick so so often like you know oh. this was this was back in the day as well when soul went down a bit more regularly than it does now yeah. like so you, between those two there would be times when like People would be pissed. Like, you know, you'd have auctions on and, like, no one would be able to bid for some reason, even though TPS was good. And you'd just be like, fuck, man, I got to eat. I got to pay rent. This is really affecting it. Um, And it's not like you can just message the buyer, like, hey, do you mind burning that so I can auction it again? (laughs) Like, you can't do that. And I remember one of Form Function's big first features was if TPS was down, they'd extend your auction for you. Uh, so that was like pretty pretty instrumental in understanding the needs of your your user base. And so, off of form function, how has the recent um, like the end of form function affected you as an artist and maybe the whole artist space? Um, I'd say it's a bit too soon to like really see the effects on the full space of artists. Um, I can definitely. It definitely would have had some really negative effects because I know there were a number of artists on Form Function who did not come into this space through Web3 NFT. They came in as artists who were like, hey, you can make royalties and, you know, it's an easier way to sell your art than giving a gallery or a shop 10, 20, 30 percent. You can just come sell it. And there are artists who came in and set up their wallet to set up form function. That was their entire web free experience kind of thing, you know, and then Twitter by extension. And so when the news came out that they were closing, there were artists who like, is all my work gone? And you had to kind of explain to them the concept of no, no, no. Like one of the big benefits of NFTs is your work is definitely not gone. (laughs) It's still on chain. But I think that's going to be really damaging you know what i wouldn't say really damaging but it's gonna be damaging to our movement that some artists whose first steps along this road are now being rugged out from under them and pulled out from underneath their feet you know and form functional had something very rare there they they were onboarding users directly to their website which is kind of the dream i think for a lot of web free platforms and a lot of us here like onboarding the masses bringing in new non-native users to use these platforms and they had that and you know there'll be people who 
whose journey has been damaged by that and who knows may not return to web3 may may go somewhere else may go to tez or f not that you know chain maximalism matters but you know i think it would be nice if soul was the leading hot chain and that that could have damaged that reputation some um for me personally it was just you know a, a minor a minor headache and a minor bit of grumpiness over using losing my nice ui and losing my nice organized collections because that is something form function does a lot better than exchange art the way you organize and structure a collection um exchange art is still kind of uh i don't know I, they still have this kind of like create a collection validate it can't have a conflicting name type deal it's more like the collections are external there rather than internal below your artist sub brand but whatever i'm sure they get that fixed in time um but yeah the exchange were really good really on the ball and provided a lot of tools and even spent a while with me on a phone call sorting out my web my profile on their thing and getting shit imported so yeah yeah i it's difficult to see where where that will go long term because i don't think monopolies are ever a good thing and we definitely don't need a monopoly in a space this small and i definitely think there's a lot of room for a curated art marketplace a highly curated art marketplace you know the mimic super rare and um yeah i think that was something form function kind of dropped the ball on they had that they set up as that and they very quickly kind of made it a lot more open i think damaged it but what do i know so uh off of the basis of just exchange art i was kind of wondering if there's if they open that discussion with artists and maybe with groups of artists like ministry to, to help them improve the artist, like, do you feel like the exchange art team really has that open dialogue to understand the different artists point of view? And is it possible that like maybe the way they've built it is just matches other artists or I don't know. Cause I, I feel like if they were artists and they really understood that outlook, maybe they would build it in a way that suits artists more. So kind of what do you think is the reason for their like shortcomings? And could it be because of that discussion that they may or may not have with artists? Um, this is going to be purely speculative because I don't know the ins and outs of how they work, obviously, as a business fully. Um, I think part of it comes down to the fact that Exchange Art are an older company in terms of Web3, and people remember Exchange Art used to sell PFPs as well. They were just generally a marketplace. They didn't start as an art marketplace. So I'm sure there's a few things in the bones of their site that kind of this structure has all grown from um, that means things have grown the way they've grown. And anyone who remembers dealing with putting work on Exchange Art way, way, way back... Um, remember it being very it was I guess it was designed by uh, developers is what it felt like like the language, the structure, the position of buttons and the way you had to input information it's like okay this is kind of logical but it's logical from a very like it felt like very back-endy um, whereas like you want something a bit more approachable and you want things to be more intuitive and they are they are now more intuitive but like it was even to go so far as like you couldn't click on the picture of the artwork to then open the page for the artwork on. You had to click on like the actual hyperlink name. And it's things like that that I think where they've built on that basis, there's probably some quirks 
that have emerged from building on that basis. I think exchange arts team really understand the business of art, you know, as Andy Warhol referred to it. You know, they really, they really understand that business of art. They really understand marketing and they really understand networking. Um, is there room for them to talk to more artists about how to present the work from a front perspective like you know how the front of the website really looks and how the artwork is displayed definitely definitely i think my spaceship soul presented a brief overhaul concept for how they could change the art pages to you know make the art more of the feature and give it more room to breathe and adjust the layout somewhat and yeah there's definitely room for that kind of improvement to really elevate it i think there's room for that kind of improvement pretty much everywhere um you know on super rare on on all the marketplaces across all the chains i think there is room for that level of improvement and i think where it would naturally lead to and where i want to see it lead to is a much more we've discussed this in group chats like a myspace style profile for your art and your auctions you know give me the ability to structure my entire artist profile around the month of auctions and collection i'm currently selling you know let me do large glitch elements everywhere on my banner and give it a black background and white type if i want to emphasize a darker piece that is benefits from that level of contrast you know let me fill the page with color borderlessly you know let me do these things to really showcase my work and make the purchasing page the bidding page an artistic experience in and of itself rather than just this utilitarian thing that's a fucking beautiful idea it, it makes me feel like it's a like you'd be kind of creating your own gallery and really your like you said your own artistic experience of that artist's work and that sounds really cool yeah yeah and like you know i'd love for the the sort of virtual galleries to um be more usable for people with work like mine my work is it's kind of like really fucking heavy in terms of file sizes and in terms of actual <laughs> yeah, dimensions of the work <laughs> yeah so um it, it struggles in those virtual galleries, but the, the concept is there. I just think actually displaying work, um, although that will be really nice when VR adoption is much higher, I think for now actually displaying work flat and focusing on how to make that as beautiful as possible is probably where our efforts are best spent. Fair enough. You mentioned Super Rare and other chains, and I, I did want to bounce off of that and talk about it because... Obviously, art isn't only confined to Solana, and I think the biggest scenes for art, if I'm not mistaken, would be Tezos and ETH, most likely. And what's what's the kind of outlook that you have on different blockchains for art? Because to a certain extent, to me, it wouldn't it would make more sense to have a focal point to have the art be all on the same chain or something along those lines. Until we have, if we ever do have, very good like multi-chain infrastructure if that happens um what's the yeah what's the outlook why would you only use one chain because it kind of limits you to a certain community does it make more sense to split across chains is there like a particular chain that has better infrastructure i think all of these questions that kind of come together to ask like what's the place of multi-chain within art yeah um so firstly i think art is the best like 
use case for mass adoption of NFTs and therefore a great way to get people more into cryptocurrency. Um, you know, so my long-term view is that we should be focusing on art as like a synonym for NFTs and less on projects personally, unless your project is really trying to actually build something other than your own bank balance. Um, where that fits in with like multi-chain, like you said, we don't have great multi-chain infrastructure right now. It would be lovely if we did. For me as an artist, Soul is the most accessible chain. It's the most accessible chain from new collector standpoints. If I meet like, you know, an IRL collector who doesn't have much NFT experience, I know setting them up with Phantom and then getting them to make a transaction on Soul is very painless, very quick, and very fucking cheap to the stage where you don't even notice the cost. So Soul makes the most sense for mass adoption. Soul makes the most sense for a usable chain, both from a creator standpoint and a collector standpoint. So I will always long-term be betting on Sol because, you know, it makes the most fucking sense and therefore it's probably the most likely to survive. It doesn't mean it is. And, you know, this is not my specialism, you know, the blockchain and the economic policy. Those are not my specialisms, but it makes the most sense. With that being said, I'm not going to be a maximalist. It's my job, as far as I'm concerned, as an artist, as an artist who focuses on art for social change, to spread my message as widely as possible. Working with Super Rare and working on Ethereum and working in real world galleries and auction houses does that for me. You know, it enables me to lift up those around me because, you know, the moment I get anywhere beyond where I am right now, I'm going to reach back and pull everyone with me who I also see as very worthwhile with great artistic voices of their own and their own expressions and their own important messages. So, um, sorry, I've rambled off a little bit there. But basically, uh, yeah, I, I see at the moment the division between chains as just different levels of access and different levels of amplification for your work and to be utilized as such but long term i see solana being the chain that day-to-day -day people will use and therefore it's always somewhere where i will keep uh, one if not both feet in it whilst reaching outside and exploring other places to better amplify what i'm able to amplify yeah that makes a lot of sense <laughs> um completely off topic and i random thought um, your take on AI art? Oh, fuck me. Um... I had to come. <laughs> I had to come. I had to be it's, asked. It, yeah, you know, you're good. You're good. It's nuanced, all right? Um, That's how so, things should be. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to separate, obviously, here AI and generative art because uh, I think they're two different conversations. For sure. Um, but generally speaking, if you're building the tools, or you're training an AI entirely on your own imagery and work, then you are obviously creating a piece of art, as far as I, my humble opinion. You know, if you have either built the code or you have fed it only things you have created, then yeah, cool, awesome. You're making art using a new tool. And actually, like, you know, it's slightly more on the generative side, but those of you who use Adobe Illustrator and have made your own brushes in the past, you know, I do that all the fucking time. I built brushes out of Braille. And so I use elements of generative and elements of what you could call AI, quote unquote, you know, code to generate imagery in a very 
removed and surface level way. I'm not about to knock anyone using tools to get the result they need. But, big but, (laughs) if you are just going on mid-journey and typing in, I don't know, 10, 15 words and getting a lovely image back that has been constructed based on a bunch of other lovely images other people have actually made, I feel weird about selling that. I would feel really, really odd about about selling that as a piece of artwork. Um, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it. Because I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't see the alignment of prompt engineer and artist. And I know it's a really difficult discussion because I know obviously people like Warhol had their own studios and teams of interns helping them produce a body of work. And you say, well, isn't it kind of the same thing? And... I don't think it is, actually. I think managing a team towards a creative direction that you have a lot of intention and a lot of direct influence and control over and getting 100 photographs shot, five of them blown up and 20 of them blown up and going through and handpicking them and going back and then marking them up yourselves and retaking those photos and saying, oh, adjust the lighting here because I want the shadow to be cast in this way is different from generating 20 AI images and picking the one you think's prettiest because you've removed intent. And I think intent is actually, or intent to me anyway, is a large part of how I judge artistic work. I, I judge it as a factor of um, intent as concept and then craft as execution. And then that results in an emotional impact. And that's the way I, I perceive and you know critique and look at this work. And if you remove all intent from that, all you're getting is other people's intent. And all you're getting is you know, pleasing aesthetics, which have been crafted through things you don't fully understand. And aren't you limiting yourself then? Because you're not fully understanding why the beauty is there. And you're not able to do things like say, well, you know, I want a warm, soulful picture. And I've given something that, you know, looks warm. But does it speak to your own ideas of what is soulful and warm? Or does it speak to a generic, homogenized idea fed in and regurgitated by a machine of warm-based images. And, you know, I also see potential flaws with that in the way we perceive ourselves. A lot of what I've seen from AI has been pretty woman. Like, you know, not the fucking film, but just pretty women. Obnoxiously pretty women. You know, women in size zero and, like, ridiculously perfect cheekbones and all this shit. And I'm like, this is not going to end in a good place if we elevate this to the highest standards of art and beauty. Because we are, I don't know, I don't know, I just, I don't love a lot of what I see from AI art, because I don't see a lot of intent in it beyond something that's aesthetically pleasing, unless you blow it up to 4K, then it gets really pixelated, and if you try and print it at 30 inches, it's going to look trash. So, like, yeah, I I just... I question things, I question it, I question what your concept was when you were executing it, other than describing a prompt, and I really question whether you are truly an artist, or whether you are a prompt engineer and a, you know, curator of prompts. Um, and that, that's just my fucking opinion, don't come for me in the, in the messages, in the comments, like, how dare you be the arbiter of what is art, I'm not the fucking arbiter. I've not said, like, well, you know, I have said it, I don't 
can consider it very artistic, but that doesn't define it as non-artistic. If you think it's art and you want to prove me wrong and you want to dedicate a body of work and, and make something with intent and meaning and strike at my heartstrings, then do so, please. I'd love to see it. Like, I genuinely would. It's not like a challenge. It's like I genuinely would, but... From everything I've seen, very, very little of it hits those notes for me. And the ones that do hit those notes generally have a lot more involvement, whether that be in people training the data sets themselves or defining their own code on how these images are amalgamated, reinterpreted, and then regurgitated back at us. I completely agree with that take, I think. Um I think I, I write a couple of notes as the as the space continues so that I can make sure that I ask the right questions and and say what my thoughts have been like across what people are saying. And one of the things that I was writing is like exactly that idea of intention. That it feels like if you're doing it through AI art, you you lose that intention that you would have as a painter with the stroke of your brush or the emotion that you would have as you like put your heart out on a canvas and you also lose, I guess, on a certain level of creativity where if you're an artist, you're probably going to be, you're probably going to have a chance to touch up every detail. Whereas with an AI art, you're not the one necessarily affecting all the detail. But then I really like the, the like the mention of data sets that you said, where if someone really generated their own data set, it's off of their art. It does become a generation of their art where it has their style and and the meaning that they kind of want to impart into their pieces, which I I think it's a really interesting take that I hadn't really thought about until now. So, I mean, for uh, what it's worth. Yeah, thank you. And like, yeah, it, it is fascinating technology, like stepping outside the artist mind. And, you know, it's fascinating technology. It's fucking wonderful that we're at this point as a as a society, as a, as a people, that we are able to make this happen it's really 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 insane and i think there's wonderful applications for you know chat gp and all of that and and so many fields of work i just we shouldn't reduce it to base reinterpretations of pretty women like we shouldn't that shouldn't be our, our goal with this and i also am like man you had ai you had the ability to generate anything on earth fucking anything not even anything on earth anything at all you could have generated anything and you chose objectifying the female form and the male gaze. That's what you chose. Like to me, that's just like, wow, that's fucking, it's kind of lazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, said that way, it does make a good point. It's true that there, there was that time, there was like a solid week where that was all I was getting on my timeline. It was like, oh, look, mid journey four is out tits. And I was like, fuck man, really? This is all I'm getting on my timeline. Yeah, I mean, since then, AI art is AI art, and just AI in general is it's it's kind of scary, honestly. Like the capacity a computer has to generate things. I mean, yeah, its, it's ability of... to to merge all this data into these coherent images is impressive. The fact it's fixed yeah. fingers finally—that's impressive. Um, I don't know how this current version of Mid Journey is with typography. Last time I tried to get it to do typography and fed it my own work and all of that shit, couldn't do anything. Just spits out broken lines that make no sense. So I also would like, you know, sit in here all smugly. Like, I'm not so worried it can't do type. Yeah, I'm sure it can do type and will do type really fucking soon. But, you know, there are things it's still not as good at for sure. Yeah.
I mean, we'll see. I, I, the speed at which it's evolved, it kind of makes me wonder, like, how long have these people really been working on this to make it be what it's become? And how much further will it go and at what speed in the next one, two, three years? Because it gets to a point where between MidJourney and ChatGPT, there's shit that you like. People are talking about, oh, robots and AI will take over. Dude, yeah. Like, I don't even, I'm trying to make a website right now, and I don't even need a front-end developer because I can just ask ChatGPT, make me this. And it feeds me a whole JavaScript code, and I'm like, bro, I have no idea if this works. Run it, and it works exactly how I want it to. And I'm like, holy shit. It's yeah. impressive. It, it is fucking amazing. And like, hopefully, like, this is the problem where we're going to run into this kind of conflict here. We need, we need universal basic income because there is so much menial fucking work that no one really needs to be doing once this technology gets just a little bit better, isn't there? Like, you know, not that coding is menial work. I'm not saying that. But, you know, shit like call centers at the bank and stuff and call centers in general could be run by ai pretty much it seems now so great liberate those people no one should be stuck in a fucking call center all day liberate them the problem is we're all in this capitalist society and we're all kind of caught by the fact that you need a job well if ai is doing all the work and companies are saving all this money maybe they could pay a little bit more tax maybe we have universal basic income and maybe people spend more money because they have more money and more free time and then it always goes round and round and round because all of it's fucking made up anyway so why not let people be happy but hey yeah i I think i'm not necessarily sure that i know enough about universal basic income and how all of that works to be able to say too much i think i have like, I have a lot of questions about it to, like, learn about it, but I definitely don't have a position where I can, like, argue against it or for it, to be honest. Because I don't know shit. Yeah, <laughs> I will no, fair enough. That out there. I don't know <laughs> shit, but judging from the last six years of world government, neither does fucking anyone else. So I will now, com- I wouldn't used to, but now I will confidently say shit like that. Because fuck it. Seeing the people we've been electing, seeing the people who are in charge of everything they're fucking idiots so yeah fuck it <laughs> yeah i i always i love the tweet by mert the like huge developer wait let me find it it's it's something about how let me get it um how 70 80 year olds are generally regarded regarded as unemployable due to mental decline such skill mismatch yet they're exclusively running the country <laughs> Each time I read that tweet, I'm like, dude. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, someone has just messaged me saying negative income tax better than UBI. And I'm not going to lie, I don't even know what the fuck negative income tax is. Does that mean you get paid based on income? No fucking clue. I'm not an economist, guys. I just got up here in my little socialist (laughs) soapbox and started ranting. (laughs) then that's the conversation i'll have to have with that person later on (laughs) yeah let me know what you find out because yeah i'm Uh, open to anything that means humans get to live life more and work in indentured ways less so yeah that's that's a good point i mean it's, it's a fair take but back to art um i think i have an another question was um i haven't barely seen 
any form of photography or videography or the more modern forms of art, I think, well, not so much the more modern forms of art, because obviously a lot of the art goes by like Adobe and stuff, which would be extremely modern, but mainly photography. Do you think there's a kind of space for that on in NFTs? What's your take on photography? Because I, I barely ever see it. And maybe that's just because I'm not exposed to it. So I might be saying something completely stupid, but. I think bold and unfounded by data as this take is, Instagram massively damaged the art of photography. All right, let me, let me try to explain my thought process here. Instagram obviously started, you know, as we all know, as ways for you to have focused accounts around sharing images of a particular kind, whether that be travel, whether that be macro photography, whatever quickly became, I say quickly, it became a lifestyle social media the same way most social medias do and became very homogenized. Um, but what Instagram did, and still to this day, you can't really zoom in very well on an Instagram photo. You can't really see it, you know, for its full breadth and depth of color and light and obviously its scale and see, you know, the level of detail captured and all those beautiful things about photography. And you know, accounts that pushed for art house style photography, I feel like were really, you know, suffered in the lifestyle rise of it. And so what we all got, I think, very used to is seeing a particular kind of very beautiful image that was partly only beautiful because of the scale we were viewing it at. And it's a little bit like AI and, you know, earlier AI images in that way as well. Like they look nice, small as a thumbnail. When you zoom in, you see the flaws. And you've not really ever been able to do that so much with Instagram. And just with this tidal wave of imagery that has been in our lives for years and years fucking now, I think people have been desensitized to some of the beauty in photography and also had their perceptions of a beautiful photo warped by this kind of particular filtered algorithm style of generally landscape or pretty girl photography. And I think, therefore, like, the collector base um, has just separated itself somewhat from this online world. And those of us who aren't heavy photography collectors are also then kind of, like I said, desensitized and a little bit numb to some of the beauty we do see and aren't as used to clicking in and really appreciating some of the wonderful things people have captured because we're so used to seeing these heavily edited thumbnails that actually don't do as good a job as a photo as these other pieces do, but no one really is able to tell because no one's looking at it closer. No one's taking the time to fully appreciate it. So I think there's absolutely a place for photography, a huge place. And I, I own some wonderful pieces of photography from Solana. Um, and I adore them, but I, I think it, in general as a medium has suffered in the digital online world because of the way Instagram has cheapened it as an art form. Not a take I expected, but makes a lot of that. That's, I see it quite well. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that you would, that that would be devalued because of all the editing you can do to it. And because of how, how it's kind of simplified is does that kind of play into the side of the fact that you have these phones that'll take a picture and and before you've even really taken the picture it's already been processed and edited and made to look like this specific way and 
you don't really you give less of a chance to people to access the medium without having an actual camera and then going in going to like if, i don't know in a sense it makes it a bit less accessible because you have this cheaper way of producing the art through phones that already have that editing they create that jpeg file instead of having a full-on camera that gives you the the raw file with all the information and that you can then really add your own touch to it while having planned it all out as a photographer i, I think like i think the best camera is the one you have in your hand at the time that's a saying that gets thrown around a lot and I, I still think that is true and I, I buy my phones based on the camera they have you know it's why i upgraded my iphone was for free cameras on the fucking back and all of that shit like i don't think that's inherently in and of itself a problem i think the problem more comes from the desensitization from where we've had what has instagram been around a decade now a decade question mark of of this particular style of thumbnail imagery that you never got to zoom in on um so if the blacks were completely fucked and there was noise in the image or there was an overexposed area or some just poor shit in the photo you didn't see it and you missed it i don't think like the you know inbuilt processing in the modern phones and the amount of post work they do the moment you take the photo like you said is inherently part of that problem if anything it makes photography more accessible and more day-to-day the problem comes from i think partly down to the way that algorithms treat photography um, and the way it prioritizes human faces and certain shots over others and because of that when people wanted to be as successful as photographers and they were going down the self-taught route which more and more creatives and artists do nowadays for a multitude of reasons they were appealing to the algorithm and being told that was good photography because it got them the likes when actually i would argue that you know it's a clean technical photo probably particularly because of all the help we now have from our phones and their software and everything but is it really a photo with a lot of artistic value beyond the aesthetic beauty? Maybe not. And again, that's not a problem to take a photo purely for aesthetic beauty. Like aesthetic beauty matters to a lot of us for obvious reasons. That's why we call it beauty. Um, and I love beautiful things and I love beautiful photos. I love God rays over mountains and all of that. I love it all. But as a medium, photography grows when you push it even further and you see what you can do by maybe directly controlling light or chasing light for a city that you've mapped out when the light falls through a buildings in certain ways and then you've got a concept to explore you want to explore x y or z so you take it and put it in this lighting because that enhances that concept all these thoughts all of that is removed when all you do is chase beauty because you're just chasing an algorithm's idea of beauty and more often than not, again, it, it's like I've harped on about a bit, but it falls onto pretty woman, like, and woman as object. And there's, there's a great test, and you can all do this. Next time you see a photo and it's, like, well enough crafted, and it mainly features a partly clothed woman, replace her with a man. If the piece still holds artistic value to you, if you think there is concept expressed and explored and representation of humanity or just beauty captured in that, then the photo's probably done a really good job as a piece of art. If not, then you're probably only, you know, being drawn into that photo because of the object of the woman. And she inherently becomes objectified because of that. And I say that as a lesbian. So, like, I'm, I'm not removed from the fact that, you know, pretty women are pretty. But if we're separating 
photography and art photography, then that is the kind of thing you need to be thinking about. And yeah, as a whole, the algorithm has fed into that massively. Okay, fair enough. Uh, um, and on another topic, it's that, so you have this these settings where you can really put art online, but obviously the like place that's most, I guess, important and relevant and the place of highest esteem is real world auctions and real world expositions, museums and everything. And so do you think, how is that, that space of real life kind of connecting right now with Web3, is there a connection? Do you think it really, it'll be open to that spot? How does that, what's the, the outlook on that connection that seems to be fairly necessary for the growth of art on Web3? Um, I mean, yeah, the connection's definitely happening. We have what Laura and Sleeper just done some of these. Um, so that, that connection is there. The connection is established. Uh, Art Basel, another fantastic example of how, how established this connection is becoming. Um, and yeah, yeah, it, it's all art. Like, it's all art. And that is being realized faster and faster and faster. Um, all of this is just art. And therefore, it is all judged against each other. And, you know, that should be a reason for everyone want to want to improve and grow because eventually, and hopefully not very long from now, you're not just going to be being compared to other work on Soul. You're not just going to be, you know, Soul's top photographer or Soul's top generative artist, etc. You're going to be competing with work that goes back decades and decades and centuries. And you're going to be compared to that. It's why it's important to understand a little bit about your history and understand a little bit about these movements where you work in. You know, for me, that's typography. For other people, it's other areas. Um, but yeah, yeah, that connection's only going to increase. I mean, I'd, fuck, someone's going to have to get me the figure. I'll get myself the figure. I'm in front of a laptop. What's the size of the real world art market? The real world, the traditional world. Oh, so just by the way. Massive. Yeah. Instagram started in 2010, so it's been 13 years now. Oh, shoot me in the face. That's fucking, fucking years. a long fucking time. Yeah. Um, global art market, like, you know, 579 billion is one of the stats I'm seeing just from here. So <laughs> that is what we are a part of, you know, whether we like it or not. And soon enough, that's going to realize we are here. And is going to want to make more out of this, you know, because we are cheap right now. We grew up in our own little scaled society here. And it's all just going to come together. And it already is on a conceptual level altogether. Because looking back on what we're doing right now from the lens of 100 years, it's all just art. No one's going to fucking recognize the chain. <laughs> is the is the real world auction and real world exposition, exposition kind of part of the end goal for you? Or is it part of the journey? More museums are from museums, from okay. yeah from an art from an art career standpoint. Museums are like I said. I I want my work to have reference and be meaningful centuries from now. So museums are the true goal. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the space, kind of like auction houses and those big prestigious sales houses like Christie's and Sotheby's. Those are part of the journey by necessity. And they help me amplify my voice and they will help me uplift other artists through the, you know, the capital you make from those. But the, the true goal isn't, isn't 
a commercial sale, the true goal is a museum and, you know, a lasting presence. Is there any museum in particular that you kind of really want to see your art exposed in? Uh, the Turbine Hall at the Tate Modern. Turbine Hall is uh, one of the largest halls in the Tate. And it's where I went when I was, uh, I think, 13 or 14. And I uh, saw a work called uh, Shibboleth, uh, Shibboleth, I can't pronounce it, but it's also known as The Crack. And the, the Turbine Hall is just a really fucking tall space, like quite wide and very long and deep, but really fucking tall. And, and there was nothing in the space when we got there. And there's just this crack that runs the entire length of it in the floor. Starts off like, you know, maybe half an inch deep and gets to like five or six, seven inches deep as it progresses. And it's just a crack. And I remember getting there and being like, you know, a little, little fucking teenager on a school trip. Being like, what is this kind of thing? Like, what the, the fuck is this? Is it broken? And they're like, no, it's the exhibit. And I'm like, there's just this moment in my head. I'm like this is the exhibit it's a cracked floor like how did they do this how did they crack the floor like this what does it mean and you know you just, it it made me ask questions not in a huh what the fuck is this it's not art kind of way but in like a genuine like i don't know it's just so <laughs> fuck from a 13 year old's perspective going to this museum that you just heard about is this really big museum in london and the like first exhibit you see is a massive fuck off crack and it just makes you think and feel by the nature of a cracked building like it makes you feel unsafe at first and then you're like you know it's an exhibit it's fine and then you're curious and you're questioning it fundamentally changed my perception on art because up until that point my perception on art had been the same as I think many of us when we're young which is art is those things in big frames and it's the Mona Lisa and, you know, it's just paintings by old white men in museums. That's all art is. And this changed that for me. So that particular room within the Tate Modern in London is where I'd love to have work. I think at the moment there's a beautiful, um, beautiful exhibit talking about sustainability and the history of culture. And it's uh, woven, woven netting. Is it sea netting? And it's, it's done uh, in the style of Peruvian counting things counting systems i'm not remembering this perfectly i haven't been to see it but uh they have a name and it's essentially you count by tying knots and these things and it's a very old old counting and data system and a record keeping system and it's translated into these massive modern pieces woven out of found material as it were as a, as a commentary on the data we leave behind i feel, well, I feel that that's what it is to me anyway it's just a wonderful space it's just a really nice space <laughs> Aside from the crack, is there any other artwork that's been particularly instrumental to the way that you see art and to the way that you've evolved as an artist? There's a lot of music, <laughs> a lot of rap and poetry and, and spoken word stuff that really, really informs a lot of my work in a sense uh, in that it vocalizes and gives emotion to my thought or not emotion to my thought. It, um, amplifies and matches the emotions of my thought patterns and helps me helps me sort of immerse myself in creation so there's, there's definitely a long long list a huge playlist of shit like that because um, i think we discount music a lot when we're talking about art that influences us as visual artists um aside from that 
I don't know. There's so much. There's so fucking much. And I'm going to sound a little corny, but it, we, it's something that's hammered on to you in, in design courses and in general. And something they look for is, is visual magpies. And that's the art of seeing aesthetically pleasing or concepts uh, in everything, you know, from the way that a particular piece of construction looks like to a billboard that's in between images and it's got all that, you know, like cracked and chipped and different strips of paper kind of remnants on it uh the faded brick outlines of one building against another where one's been destroyed the the day-to-day art and design of infrastructure and all of that all of that feeds into what i do um but yeah yeah as as fundamental pieces of art the the crack is one of them and in in that same trip we saw some hearsts as well and that kind of again went on to amplify the art can be anything type feeling rothko has a massive influence uh just uh, the weight of emotion in their work and um oh fuck what's her name i totally know their name jesus christ my mind's gone blank. They're a bronze sculpture artist who, like, literally was from down the road from me. Their artist studio is not far from where I grew up in my family home. And I've been there a million times. And I cannot remember their fucking name. Ugh. Give me one second. I don't think I can help. I don't know that much uh, bronze sculpture artists, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> I just looked it up, and the first one I find is from, like, 1892 to 1990. So I'm going to get off a guess and guess it's not them it's uh henry moore <laughs> henry moore okay henry moore yeah their, their sculptural work is fucking wonderful and seeing it in place like it's these rolling green english countrysides and like that's where his his studio was and there's, there's tons of the work there that goes through these really interesting abstract figurative pieces of like a mother and child to just these uh, these just these forms that just sit in this landscape and you think you think from that description you know rolling english countryside sheep roaming the fields quaint cottages you'd think these towering bronzes would look horrible and out of place there and they don't they they sit in the landscape like they've been there since before humanity walked the earth they they stand as relics and testament to to ancient gods almost and they are just so beautiful and so pleasing to walk through and around and be be immersed within. Uh, just such a wonderful, wonderful use of form to, to get the bronze to sit so lightly and to flow so beautifully on the landscape when they, they shouldn't. They should juxtapose and they should contrast and they should feel jarring and they, they truly don't. Uh, yeah, really encourage anyone to look up that work. He has pieces all over the world as well because he was a really commercial sculpture and um, so there is a lot of pieces in a lot of major cities around the world uh, so you will probably be able to go see some um or find one near you but if you can find one in a field if you can find one in that setting i really really recommend it i'll have to check it out i'm, I'm looking at the pictures right now at the same time and uh i think i see what you mean as much as I don't think I've always I've managed to always grasp the like deeper meanings and uh, the intricacies that you describe, I think I like I'm trying to get it anyways. <laughs> but I think I'm going to have to bounce soon. But there's one question that I really wanted to ask, and like all the time in the world for this, it's that you've mentioned a lot about the intent and the impact, and 
I think that this question is is massive in scope, and it probably evolves as your life in art and your life as a general rule evolves. But as of now, what do you think is your intent and the impact that you want to impart with your art? Oh, I, I can fall back on my base concept for that one. I intend to give a voice and visibility to ideas, ideals, and identities which lack visibility and connection in our day-to-day lives, even if they are something which generally we take at face value as being very present. Ideas like hope and love and underrepresented communities like the LGBT community, you know, I want to give visibility to that humanity and that commonality within all of us without disrespecting or removing the nuance and depth of the lived experience we all have. I just want to reflect on our humanity mainly, because I think by doing so, we can all take it down a level and, you know, have a better life. That's very egotistical for me to say that my work could do that. But there's a reason that, you know, of everything we have from the ancient world, the two things that have lasted is a record of the bloodshed and the art we've built. And so if I can become part of that lexicon, and the art I build can reflect on humanity and glorify the more beautiful aspects while still still acknowledging the darkness within and reflecting upon all of that, then I will have done my job. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think at the, at the end of the day, it's so sub, such a subjective area. It's kind of this thing where I can say, like, it's your thing and obviously i can't put any kind of like criticism or even a comment on it because it's it genuinely is the way you see it and there's no there's no other way to see it but yeah i think oh okay wait a sec completely off topic i had this random question it was that a lot i mean a lot i've had um in the past like some teachers mention a relationship between like religion creation and then art and also like themes of like creation within art for example like in the tempest or other shakespearean uh works and i was kind of wondering if you have any without getting too personal like i don't want to like go too far if i'm if you're not comfortable with it your take on like religion and its relationship with art um <laughs> So, I don't know, like looking at religion as a vehicle and a tool to help us better understand the concept of consciousness and sapience, um, it's then inextricably linked to art, because I think art is the same thing. It's our attempts to understand, express, work through, process, and then create a representation of, of sapience, of, of the intrinsic and nuanced thoughts of our day-to-day lives and the base emotions. And I think religion is it's kind of the same thing in, in many ways, not always. I think religion is also a tool which serves a purpose, either as a way to institute some kind of morality and ethics upon nascent societies when we were first emerging as societal structures that spanned more than 15 to 20 people you know you need these kind of overarching ideas and it's also a tool to explain the world around you and what you don't understand and again that that links very closely to art like what is art if not us trying to explain things we don't fully understand in some ways 
like the depths of the human experience. It can be written down and notarized and compounded into data, but that isn't full understanding. You need something beyond that. You need something as intangible as emotion, and that is found in the creation of art. So I, I think they are linked because they come from the same base place within us as a species, and that as a result of our sapience and a result of our, our conscious subconscious structure, the way we think about the world and interact with it and our, our thought processes. Um, but as to like the modern role of religion and art, Thankfully, it's not as present from an organized standpoint, because obviously you, you run into issues where religion or a religion becomes the arbiter of what is and isn't art. Okay, thank you. Thanks for that take. I was super random. Um, just kind of had that, that flash idea because cause it was a theme that, we, that I studied quite a bit in high school between like poetry from... Uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay and also Shakespeare so if you if you're ever interested in that I can definitely like share a bit of it I think one poem that was particularly on that topic was the agnostic for what it's worth anyways um that being said I think it's a pretty good time to end the space an hour and 40 minutes um I don't think I have that many more notes or questions actually so I mean unless you have something you want to add? Oh, I feel like I uh, rambled on enough. I feel like I really, <laughs> really went on a few tangents there. I apologize. Uh, yeah, definitely send me the link to that poem, please. I'd, I'd love to read it. Yeah, Will thank do. you for the lovely space. Thank you for letting me talk shit um, <laughs> and piss people off and all of that. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. I mean, so yeah, if you want to shout anything and anyone out, go for it. Now's like the time to... Uh, Shout out your Twitter, shout out your form function, shout out literally anything. Fucking shout out, shout out Boo, shout out Toshi, shout out Charlie, the URS and the ministry, obviously. Johnny Solana, he's kind of all right, I suppose, kind of a dick, but you got to love him. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, no, man, thank you. Thank you for the space. Thank you for amplifying people's voices. And shout out you, darling, because it's really nice that you're doing this. Thanks, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, with that being said, for anyone who's listening, you can claim the Guts Etude cover by Hats in the pinned tweet. It's the, um, the kind of like an opening piece for his new uh, his new collection, so check him out. I think most of you probably already do know him, but check him out, check his new collection. And, uh, and Oh yeah, fucking yeah. shout out fucking Hats. <laughs> and also Dostan's odd. What's up, guys? <laughs> okay, I'm done. <laughs> So, so anyone who wants a piece, put your address in and I'll get it done by tomorrow. Give me 24 hours and all of them will be out. Um, so, And you have basically like the next two, three hours to get your address on and you're 100% certain, certain to get it. Um, and so, yeah, next space is on Thursday with Armani Ferrante from XNFT. So completely different style, not art, but it'll be really interesting too. <laughs> and, uh, and then, yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Thanks a lot for being here, Celestial. Um, talk further. And with that being said, I think it's a great place to end. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye. Are you sure about that? That's the wrong, that's the wrong sound pad. <laughs> <laughs>